It was all a pipe dream, watching body boarding up on TV. Deep at reef, watching tension repeats, eating bakery feeds at 18, living the dream with no sunscreen. Yeah, we were so keen, surfing Aussie pipe, buying Riptide. G'day and welcome pipe. to the Riptide Bodyboarding Podcast, the home of bodyboarding. Thank you for joining us on episode 23 of our Verbal Journaling, and I'm your host, Luke O'Connor. Today's guest is a excellent human being who has been through the absolute ringer when it comes to mental health, and he's come back out on the other side, a more seasoned individual that is now sharing his wealth of knowledge with the experience to so many others and is spreading the good word and the different techniques on how to overcome all that head noise that we've all faced um, in some certain stages of our lives. He's the founder of Moore's Mental Awareness with Sports. He's a carpenter, he's a booger, he's a skater, and he's just an all-around good good egg, mate. I just want to introduce Nicholas DeGraff onto the podcast. How are you, mate? <laughs> yeah, not too bad. How sick was that? Thanks so much. That's all good, bro. I, I, honestly, going back, um, you know, firstly over the first potty, you guys, um, you're hard in yourself. So I did with the Grin Reapers and all the um, media attention you've got on Channel 9 and Channel 7 over in the West this year in regards to the amazing work that Moores is, um, you know, doing with, with, with all different types of people over that way, man. Like it's, um, you know, you should just be very proud and, and it's another feather in your cap, like all those words I meant. And it's, um, it's really cool to see that you're giving your time up for such a, such a intense, worthy cause, especially in this day and age with everyone. Um, you know, it's obviously becoming so much more common the the chat and all the, um, gripe with mental health, man. So I just wanted to start off the potty, um, with just getting your, your history out there, man, because obviously you've, you've, you've had a journey and, um, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, sick. Um, yeah, I guess the history with me kind of growing up, I was, um, I don't know, like kind of textbook ADHD just through the roof with energy, like it could not be contained and just pretty disruptive in class because I just struggled to sit still and, you know, the whole foot shake and the leg shake would be going while I'm trying to sit in behind the desk trying to concentrate and um yeah over time I just I was pretty confident uh because I had my skateboarding and stuff but over time I just started developing quite bad anxiety when I got into my like adult years and my you know early 20s um and then that anxiety just I could not shake it it just was so debilitating to the point where it was so challenging to work and stuff um and I thought, you know, like, I didn't know how to face it. And I got went to see my GP and I just told him what I was thinking, which was so hard to do because, I don't know, never experiencing that kind of severe anxiety before. I didn't even know where the first steps were to have that conversation. So I sat down with the doctor and he's like, all right, yeah, it just sounds like, you know, you've got high anxiety. We'll put you on some medication. He asked me about my history, family history of any mental health issues. And uh, at the time, I didn't know of any. So I just said, no, no, nothing, you know. And, um, yeah, I got put on some medication. And it just, I don't know, I wasn't 
I wasn't the kind of person that's strict on medication. You know, the times like, oh, you're going to take it three times a day or twice a day at this time. I was kind of like, whoa, man, like I'm feeling really anxious. I'll just have this medication now. I tried to treat it like that. And um, having an underlying mental illness, it just triggered that. And, yeah, shot me up into mania um, where I was just, so energetic and not sleeping and just thinking I was on top of the world. Um, and then I just mentally just went with it and then going with it ended up going into psychosis and yeah, I took myself to hospital because I was in a state where I was like, you know, I can see it's pretty heavy. I thought I could see my body you know, under the sheets in the corridor of the emergency. And I just went into emergency room um, and I had my dog in the car and I just went up to the counter. I just pushed past everyone. I said, I know my body's laying there and I'm the spirit and I just want to go back to my body. I'm not ready to go yet. And then I said, but I got my dog in my car, you know? And then he's like, well, well, I suggest you take your dog home. So I took my dog home and then my wife and she called a really great company um, that's like mental health emergency. I think they go under um, the name Mel and they come out and did like a site check on me kind of thing, came to my house and yeah, they just took me to back to Joondalup and I was, yeah, put into a locked psychiatric ward. Um, I was completely psychotic for over, over a week in the locked ward until they had to really organize um, security guards to circle around me. Not that I was aggressive or anything. It's just nothing was working. Like they couldn't, they couldn't calm my mind down. So it just got to the point where they had to plan and yeah, just tackle me to the ground and nurse jumped on my back kind of thing and had to pull my pants down and inject me with medicine. And then I just started coming to over that and eventually got into um, the voluntary ward, and yeah, it just started recovering from then on until I and could so get out time... into every day. Sorry to interrupt you, Nick. Hey. I was just saying, what time of year um, was 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 this? I was sorry, what what year that was, was it? it? Yeah, that was two thousand and eighteen. Okay, yeah, so was, this is about four years ago now, and and you've and that was the the major episode where where obviously um, you needed your most help, and you completely became diagnosed with um, all the 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 different um, ailments that you've listed on your page. There, like, is have you had any reoccurrence since, or since that moment when everyone's intervened and you've reached out for help? Did you did you feel like that's kind of put you on that? Upward trajectory? Yeah, I um well originally I was like you know, when I started to get better in a sense, I just thought, you know what, like I reckon that whole psychosis episode was just a one off. Like I reckon I'll be alright without all this medication because it was making me so drowsy and so thirsty and I just didn't feel myself so I just worked within my team of doctors and psychiatrists and all that. And I just kind of convinced them that it was a one-off episode and just let me wean off the medication. So 
I weaned off, but then I just relapsed back into mania, which was, yeah, just a notch down from psychosis and then got intervention in again and then put back on the medication. And that's when they like, yep, you know, because they didn't know exactly what to diagnose me with. They were kind of tossing and turning um, schizophrenia or type 1 bipolar. And then after that, another episode, that's when they diagnosed me with type 1. How did you feel after the second episode, Nick? Oh, I was just really upset within myself because I was like, I don't know, mentally, I kind of convinced that I convinced myself so much that, nah, man, you're all right. Like, it was just a one-off episode. You'll be, you'll be fine. Just come off the medication. And then when I relapsed, I knew there was something mentally not quite right with me that I needed this medication. Now it's going to be permanent for the rest of my life. And having that, having that sitting with, you know, the health team, like, and then getting that diagnosis with my wife sitting next to me, I just, I just crumbled. Hey, I was like, really? Like, because what I knew of it at the time was type one bipolar. There was just nothing positive. I didn't, I didn't hear anything positive about it. So I just felt shattered and I just went into a real deep depression after that. And how long did it take you to come out of that? out of that depression, Nick, and, and working with your family and your loved ones around you? Uh, it, didn't, it didn't take too long, probably. There was a few times where, because usually I've always used the ocean, like ever since I was a kid, I would just go down to the ocean and deal with my worries kind of thing. And, um, yeah, I think after, after a, a couple of weeks, I just, you know, started journeying, back to the ocean and then recovering that way and um, getting a lot of support from my wife and friends. So I recovered pretty well, but I think mentally just trying to sit with the diagnosis and the outlook by what you find on the media was most heavy, but I kind of put that behind me now anyway, because I was like, well, I'll just be the other 1% or whatever that, it shows on there in a sense. I'll just try to make the most of it. Is this why, um, was this one of the main reasons um, that spurred you on to develop Moors? Yeah, for sure. Um, I thought, you know, I one of my mates was going through depression at the time and him and I kind of teamed up and started trying to get, get, ourselves, get each other better. And he was like, why don't we just go to, Barley bodyboarding, man. Just go on a bodyboarding trip. That used to bring us so much happiness. Like, let's just go. So, I was tossed, you know, just toying with the idea. I can't, I can't remember how many emails I sent back and forth trying to book this thing. But yeah, my mate Tom was like, "Well, Ryan Hardy's there, man. He's the, he's going to be the coach, and he's been through." some you know some pretty heavy mental stuff so why don't you just have a chat with him and I thought yeah that's it let's just do it so we both went over and it took me so much courage because I wasn't in the best mental state on the camp and it took me so much courage to just go up to Ryan when he was filming and just say hey man like this is what's happened and this is only like a year year since my psychotic episode um 
and yeah, he was just he was so like you know helpful and just so all the points and tips and chats we had about it. Like I don't know how many kind of counsel sessions and therapy sessions I sat in, but to have that from a lived experience mindset to tell me what works for him in a sense and what I could try use that just that just made it so much easier to cope with. So sitting in the water with him, I just said, man, whatever this is right now, we need to make this into a business of some sort. And then that's when I went home and just started toying up ideas and names. And I just thought, yeah, I'll just call it more. It's like mental awareness of sports because that's exactly what it was. We were getting aware of our mental state whilst catching waves. Man, it's such a good concept. And just back to Ryan Hardy, did you find comfort within that situation knowing that Ryan's obviously reached some of the most loftiest heights you can in bodyboarding with um, big wave expeditions, winning world tour comps, um, you know, being rated as probably almost every bodyboarder in the world's favourite bodyboarder at at any given time. Did did you find comfort in that realising that, you know, such a man had been through – so many hardships and um, was has obviously come out the other side bigger and better than ever and has found the coping mechanisms to to kind of get on with his life. It was, was that something you found comfort in? Yeah, for sure. He was like, he's like the peak of mentoring, you know, for, for that, for, to have that understanding and come from, come from him as he, who he is as an individual and a person and obviously high talent through his bodyboarding as well. Like having that advice come from him, I was just like, I'm on top of the world. Like if he can do it and he's doing it, I reckon I could do it too. It just gave me all this hope that was so lost through my own recovery because anything I searched up, like as far as, you know, I was part of support pages on Facebook and, all this kind of stuff and it was so dark and so heavy and then having that chat with Hardy and being in contact with him it's just washed all that heaviness away because he's the hope that I need and that hope transfers onto me to provide that hope to the kids that I mentor in a sense. Yeah and can you just elaborate a little bit more on the Moores group man because obviously uh, this has um, I've, I've only heard about this over the last couple of months, and stupidly um, was quite ignorant to the fact that that you were you were organising events for um, kids in regard to you know skating parties or surf camps or rock climbing. Um, you know, there's a number of activities that you provide and coach and mentor um, children dealing with like, mental health coming up. Is has that been something that you? Um, that you you thought you need to put in place to set the record right for some of the experiences you had during your, your mental health gripe? Yeah, for sure. Like, I just find, you know, uh, regulation of emotions, um, I can kind of, I can help those kids with the regulation through my own self and my own experience and, I run the confidence-based training approach, which just works with the individual on their skill set and confidence. And I just teach all the kids, especially in the group, just to be like, hey, like, 
everyone learns at their own pace. Don't feel bad if someone's learning something faster than you because everyone learns at their own pace, you know, and with with practice makes perfect. So if you need more practice, just take some more practice and hold my hands because I do like a 10-finger hold with the kids in the, in the skateboarding and I allow the individual to let me know how many fingers they want to hold. And if they all of a sudden go, oh, yeah, can I just do five fingers, one hand? I just congratulate them straight away on their confidence and just bring that to light, that they're building their confidence because throughout all my experience with mental health and my own struggles as a kid, if I was struggling hard with deep emotions, I would just take myself for a skate. And instead of getting angry and aggressive, I would just go, oh, I'm going to ollie that six set of stairs today. Like, I'm just going to go for it. I just challenge myself mentally into my sports. So I feel like kids, kids love to be challenged in a sense. Like I had a girl today that she's six years old and she said to me, I want a challenge today. And I said, right, you're going to learn 50-50 grinds. And I showed her the I showed her the, how to do it, and then yeah, she got a she did it today twice on her own with no no finger holds, just a, you know all on her own, and she gets a sticker to show where she's at in her confidence level. And every every ramp in the skateboarding, so your first ramp, you get a first ramp sticker, and the kids just collect these stickers as like trophies on their boards. So. It just really, it's having that self-worth as, a, as an individual and knowing how to build that confidence up on your own. I try to leave the message with the kids to say, hey, you know, you're going to fall down in life. And it's like building up your confidence and getting that kind of reward in a, self, in a sense for yourself is how you're going to silence that anxiety and fear. So... Yeah, I just teach that. And then same with the surfing. I just let the kids, if they're, if they're too scared of the waves that are breaking out the back, we won't go out the back. We'll just spend time in the whitewash. And I always check in with the kids first before I take them into the water because I don't want them scared of the ocean and I want them to be able to work at their own pace in a sense. So... I just reassure the kids, hey, if you do want to go out the back, remember I'm right here with you. Um, if you fall off, oh, I'm going to be right next to you. I'm just one paddle stroke away from scooping you up. So I know I just really want to just tame those fears and anxiety with each individual with confidence in myself, knowing confidence in me in a sense and themselves, knowing that I'm right there to catch them if they fall until they're ready that they go, hey, I want to try this on my own now. And I'm like, great, go for it. Yeah, <laughs> and, and your job's that, done there. The... Sorry? And I was just saying, your job's done there, but not completely. I mean, obviously, you know, there's there's so many so many things to learn, but you've, 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 you've absolutely killed it, man, because they're happy to go off on their own, on their own accord with the skills that you've, you've laid out to them and, and the way they can build confidence internally. And they've, they've reached that level, you know, and I think it's such a, um, underrated, um, uh, underrated aspect of life, you know, and it's, and it is quite hard to develop confidence if you are down and out on your luck, but uh, to instill that in a, 
child and, and, and a person who's ab- absorbing the world as they, as they go and they, and they try and reach their full potential. It's, it's just, um, it's just, it's just so important in my eyes. Like if you, if you, if, if you're confident, you can tackle any challenge. And yeah, exactly. And, you know, just, you know, having that confidence in yourself, you, that, that anxiety has no space in your mind to exist if you're, if you're confident in your own ability. Yes, you might get a little bit scared at the takeoff or on the drop-in, but if you're confident, you're not going to pull away. You're going to commit to it. So... I just find that teaching those aspects into the kids at a young age and I have a sign that kind of, I don't know, shows it as a ladder, like 10 finger is the first run of the ladder and then it goes all the way up to a body hopper and then they're standing on top of a big ramp. It just goes to show whatever your goals are, just set it in manageable runs of the ladder, reduce it to something so minuscule and congratulate yourself on that first run of the ladder and then the second run. So I know I just feel like if we can learn as young kids how to how to build confidence through breaking down something that might be scary at the start to really small manageable steps, we can transfer that whole aspect into our life going into adulthood or through exams through school or any of that kind of stuff. So that's what I'm just trying to trying to put that, uh, I guess, lesson plan in place in a sense. Yeah, and and speaking of that lesson plan and the visual aid you're just speaking, um, visual aid. Sorry, you were just speaking about in regards to the the ladder and, and all the different levels they can achieve during their coaching and mentoring. I believe you've written a book, The Life of Little Nick. Uh, um, can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, that's just like my childhood growing up um, around, you know, Perth, just surfing, uh, learning how to surf at Mullo Point and skate and all that kind of stuff. It just talks about how to face fear and anxiety and how I how I face how I face those emotions um, at some of the parks that we have around Perth Metro, um, and I took the photo. I got the illustrations made of the ramps that gave me big fear when I was learning how to skate, and I just talk about talk about those emotions of fear and anxiety and how to be brave and you know the importance of sleep and and persistence of constantly trying the trick over and over and over again until you get it. Um, so yeah, I just I wrote it in like a story uh, poetry kind of form, and it's just got some really cool illustrations in there. And then um, carried on with a with a coloring in book as well. So I guess you know for that kid that likes like me as a kid likes to scribble whilst reading. I could just pick up some coloured pencils and colour in whilst reading. So, I don't know, I just felt like I need to get my message out there from my own experience and how I coped with it to help any other individual that might feel the same way growing up and relate to it and then have the photo at the end with me with all the kids to go, hang on, this 
this isn't just a story, it's a real person and he's helping people understand mental health in a sense and book in for a skate or a surf and let's have a yarn, let's have a chat about it, you know? Yeah, definitely, man. And the artwork that went with that book is all time because you had some perfect Craigs on the front cover there, bros. Is is, is that how you always do backies? <laughs> Not always. Um, but, yeah, just that backflip. I just needed to be on the front cover because I found, you know, landing your first backflip on a book, just it's something so special. It feels so good. So, yeah, I got Miguel um, from is he from Peru I think he is and he's a really good illustrator and he can capture fear and all that kind of stuff and just his quality and illustrations I just I just said yeah we need to we need to get this going and I put a post on the vintage bodyboarding page um I just I guess just off the illustration and then I got reached out by um a publishing company saying hey have you ever thought of putting these into a children's book or writing a children's book. I said, yeah, yeah, I'll do it tonight. Who, who's, who are you? <laughs> You're like, oh, I'm, a, I'm, a, um, I'm the founder of Old Mate Media and, yeah, we, we do children's books and publish books. So, yeah, let's get it rolling. So, yeah, that's how it all happened. Well, all by chance on the Vintage Boog page. There's some good things go down on that page, eh? let alone just selling bodyboards. Communities coming together yeah, and, and getting the good word out there. Yeah, so much trough on there. It's so good. So it's just like, yeah, as soon as that happened, I, I just thought, yeah, this, this, needs, oh, this needs to happen. I'll just, I'll just work over, I think it took me over like a year just to, you know, work with the illustrations and get that all sorted and, um, get it all to a point where it's published. But, um, yeah, well well worth it, and I love it. Yeah, 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 most most certainly. And so you released that uh, the middle of this year, am I correct in saying that? Yeah, yeah, the middle of this year. I think it was like, yeah, September or so, something like that. And, um, yeah, it's just available on Amazon, uh, so people can buy it all around the world kind of thing. Like I think the first sale was in the US and I thought that's pretty cool, <laughs> you know. And then, um, yeah, Gold Coast Bodyboarding Club, they I got some copies for them for their groms. And, yeah, it was, it's, just, it's just an important message. I mean, there's so many, so many of us, I feel, use the ocean as, as a form of therapy, but it's, I don't know, it's hard, it's hard to describe what it does. You know, when you know it, you know it. You just that's your that's your medicine. So I know I just thought of trying to tell my story and how it impacted me and just put it in put it in the book. Well man, there's science currently and I'm I'm saying currently now at the the time of this podcast and in the middle of well towards the end of two thousand and twenty two that points that we all came Origi- and you know, originally came from the ocean as as human beings. So maybe, um, wow. you know, maybe there, there is something there, and that the energy that is translated out of the ocean to us whilst we're riding waves is, um, you know, home just calling us back. Yeah, it's huge. Like, what other sport are you riding? Energy, you know, you literally, and it's not man made. It's all driven by storms and you're just kind of getting tail end of it or whatnot. And 
the bank somehow start, starts to form on a lucky day and here you are getting barrels. Like, it, I know, it's just something so pure about it. That's what I love it so much. Oh, for sure, man. You reach a meditative state, and I've spoken about it beforehand. There's, you know, you're going through the motions. You're, um, like, even subconsciously just going through the motions. You're out there. You're just frothing, like, levels at an all-time high. You're smiling, high-fiving your mates. If it's a solo session, you're kind of doing some inward inward thinking and um, getting in, in, in touch with your psyche again and, and dealing with the elements around you. And there's the challenges right there that can make um, – make or break you and, and if you can keep pushing through them you can you can push through anything i know ryan um ryan mentioned on the grin reapers podcast at the start of 2020 just before just before covid hit actually um that you know it, it, he he kind of felt the challenges that that he faced in the water brought him back from um you know brought him back from the brink so to speak have you used the ocean in that way to continually challenge yourself and then and then get yourself back on the horse yeah for sure it was always been my medicine i think that's the only thing that seemed to regulate me the most was the ocean so i just always journeyed i used to for those that maybe grew up in malu i trained my dog to like tow me from you know, quite far away from the beach and she'd tow me on my skateboard full full pelt and I'd have my board under my arm and just straight to my low point and just, I didn't even know how to read swell charts or anything like that. I was just like, yeah, go on the ocean, you know, and I just, I will just sit there and I'd just have a laugh and I'd be solo surfing or whatnot, just mucking around and it was just so therapeutic. I knew... As soon as I got out of that water, I felt better mentally and, I don't know, just more positive outlook. And I knew from that point on I could never let the ocean disappear out of my life. Um, so, yeah, I just it's that, it's that meditative state, like you said, you know. It's like I can't meditate, but I can surf. So it's just the same kind of principle for me, it's, you know, I can't sit still, but when I'm in the in the water, it just I don't have all those kind of inner thoughts going on, or I can just sit there and chill and not have a care in the world. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. And back to your point, then you know you raised a really valid point there. Some people can't meditate, man, because they are so. You know, as you as you stated, full of energy, full of excitement. Um, it's very hard to calm their mind down and 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 get themselves into that state where they they kind of lower their lower their consciousness from their their busy central nervous system and kind of come down to that default mode where you've just got that clear communication through um, your mental pathways and it's not those messages aren't just pinging all over the body like a you know like you had a can of Red Bull or something, but. Um, do, do, do you feel like, you know, um, because you can't meditate that you, you have, um, you know, pushed towards the sports side of things when it comes to the mental, like mental awareness with sports, you know, just saying, well, if I can't sit still, I'm going to put a challenge, a physical challenge in front of myself with the community, mentoring other people and, and putting my energy towards that because then you can reach a state of enlightenment and contentment within yourself? Yeah, for sure. I find, um, you know, what I've established with Moors has been, you know, a massive 
point in my stability of my mental state because some days, you know, I'll be going through a low for maybe a week and my cycles are like, I may go for a low for a week and then start to come out of it and pick back up and get a little bit high and then come back down in a sense. But when I'm in my lows, I don't want to let the kids down, no way. So I force myself to these skate parks and force myself to the surf to teach these kids and just be happy and seeing them excited and learning new tricks and loving it makes me happy. So if I didn't have, if I didn't have my laws in place in a sense, I think my cycles would be so much worse because I've got nothing forcing me to go have fun in a sense. You know, if I'm in a real low state, just go for, you know, a 10, 20 minute skate before I start class in the skateboarding or after I teach surfing, go for a half an hour surf and just refresh. Does this lead on to um, your new short film, man, The Prescription to Motion? Because obviously in the title there, it kind of... <laughs> It kind of says to me that you're, you're prescribing to motion as a um, mode of therapy and yeah. to help calm your mind, man. Is, is is that the kind of crux behind it? A hundred percent. I was with a um, I was with this teacher, and we're organising because I'm writing. I'm now getting into schools, um, so I'm writing programs for next year. And I remember working with this teacher at Scarborough. And I just got this, I don't know, I'm, it might just sound a bit quirky, but I just feel a bit like I can feel people's energy in a sense and I just get drawn to people out of nowhere. So I just walked over and I saw this guy skating at um, Scarborough Skate Bowl and I just, I'm quite a shy kind of person. I don't go overly out of my way to talk to people, but for some reason I just had to talk to this guy and just started chatting and then we just started talking about mental health somehow. I don't even know how. And then he he just openly says, like, yeah, man, like, I'm, I'm a property of the estate, so skateboarding's pretty much saved my life. You know, property of the estate, I guess, going through foster care all your life. And that that talk and that chat, that what sparked prescription to motion in a sense, because I'm like, skateboarding for you has literally saved your life. And that motion, in a sense, to... Go, hang on, I need to wash off some of this, some of this bad thoughts, and you know, throw yourself into skateboarding and wash all those thoughts off mentally with something that is so mentally challenging. When you're trying to learn a new trick, it's got no room for those bad thoughts anymore. All of a sudden, you're just so focused on trying this trick in different ways, different stacks, and getting back up and trying again. And I thought. Nah, this needs this needs to be a clip. So I'm going to be working with him on getting a few clips together, and I just started reaching out to all these professional athletes to see if they're keen. And yeah, got a got a quite a quite a few um, people keen on it. So I'm just working on creating the clip, and it's just hard to get, I guess, photographer approvals in a sense. So like Mark Matthews has sent some of these GoPro footage from Shippies and I think Kira and stuff and it just looks sick. So I don't know, just trying to trying to get the clip together and gain all this gain all this footage and yeah, got a quite a few people keen on it. 
So you're editing it yourself, bros? Yeah, I want to edit it myself. Um, and I want to try and, because I'm doing my diploma of mental health as well um, on the side. And I'll be qualified in December. And there's a really great um, organization called Sister Kate's organization. It's like an Aboriginal organization for Stolen Generation. And I just listen to some of their music through um, through my study. And I just thought, how sick would this be if we could, if I could just try and get their message out as well and just, just have an all-inclusive, you know, talk about mental health, trauma, all that kind of stuff, and link it into into sports to show how powerful physical activity um, can be for our mental state. So I don't know I've just got heaps of ideas for it, and for me, as soon as an idea comes in my head, if I don't if I don't reach out and get the idea flowing, it just circulates in my head over and over and over again until I do something with it. So I just keep throwing out ideas everywhere. But, yeah, that's what I'm working on at the moment. Is this the first time uh, you've ever sat behind the – you know, behind the keys and and look to edit your own your, your own clip because it's yeah. a pretty um it's a it's it's a pretty monstrous task, man. Like hats off to you for un- undertaking it. Yeah, I know it would be my. I've done a clip before, um, but yeah, it's, it was just bodyboarding in WA. It was all rotto box and stuff. Um, but yeah, I've never. I don't. I don't want it to be. You know, it doesn't have to be super specky in a sense. Like I just, it's more for me. The importance of getting the message around mental health is is more important to me than you know, in the way it looks. Like I'll do my best to work and get get the get the clip to look really good and stuff. Um, but yeah, for me, the more important side of it is just to get the message out there. Whoa, someone just took off in your neighbourhood, eh? <laughs> no, I'm down at um, I'm down at the beach in in Queens. There's a car park here, and it's like I know a lot of people come to hang and show off their cars in a sense. So I was like, oh, but it's such a nice spot as well. So I think I'm just going to wind up the windows now. <laughs> That is so classic. That's so classic. I, I live on a really busy road um, in the southern Shire, man, here in southern Sydney, and sometimes I can hear cars going past here at night, and I'm like, you know, I, I'm all for, you know, people loving mechanical things and, and, you know, building new technology and getting the new whiz-bang latest thing out in the market and whatever, but I just cannot for the life of me understand why people want to have super, super, super loud cars, you know, or motorcycles or whatever. Like, oh, so bro, killed me. Like, yeah. Like, bro, you cringe. You, you, you kind of you almost go inwards to your, inwardly to yourself when, when you hear the, the, the sound of it and everything just stops and you actually get agitated. And I'm like, why the fuck – are the decibels up so loud right now? Hey, let's just all get along with the day without me hearing your fucking motor coming from a kilometre and a half away, bro. 
It is the most frustrating thing for me as well. I just can't stand it. And it's like all of a sudden they need to, I, I don't know, it's a self-validation for themselves to go, hey, look, I'm in a fast car. Check this. Watch, watch me like make a loud noise. You know, I don't, I don't know where it comes from, but it just makes me cringe so much. Cause I'm like, really? <laughs> like, you are ma- yeah, how, how could you get out of your house to go to work and wake your whole street up just for the fact that you're proud to have a loud, loud sounding car? Humans are interesting beings, right? Each to their own, you know? We all have these little weird um, likes and dislikes and we're all just geared so differently. I guess the the uniqueness is what what's make what makes the human race so interesting and and the diversity. But yeah, I'm I'm fully in your corner. Just let's um let's put the decibels down a notch, eh? Yeah, bro. Yeah, yeah. Did did I just lose you? Nico. <laughs> yeah, that's it for sure. Yeah. Oh, sweet. I must adjust. Yeah, he dropped. Yo, you there? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Must have just been a little bit of a, a lag. All, all good, man. We can... We can edit that stuff out, but um, I just wanted to, uh, I don't want to take too much more of your time, man, and, and obviously, um, you know, I try and ask these questions with, with, with every guest that, that comes on. I just wanted to see if you want to partake in the Luke's Lounge, um, you know, five boogan questions. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, sweet, bro. So um, first one being Crescent. Or bat tail, sir. Which one would you choose, or which one's your preference? Oh, probably crescent. Yeah, I don't want just banging the banging the package. If if there's a <laughs> if there's an option, I'd rather not have that little have that little <laughs> bit more crescent size. Oh, dude, I, I feel you, hey. Like, I, I don't know how <laughs> Jeff Hub lands some of those airs, man. Obviously, he's, he's getting extra extra boost there with with the tail, but some of the landings must become super hairy, you know. And I'm I'm, I'm not saying about his yeah test his hairy testicles being squashed. I'm I'm talking about like you know losing vital organs and body parts. <laughs> he's he's falling from like fifteen foot in the air. Like Jesus Christ, hats off to him. I know. I know. <laughs> did you see that one at Fronton recently? Like the the massive um, backy slash a reverse, reverse a reverse hit on the the right. Yeah, I did see that. I was like, "You're actually going to attempt to land this when I was seeing how high he got." I just couldn't believe it. I eh? that was huge. Oh, he did it with so much control too. Like, you know, obviously he, he won the event. He was on a on a heater. Um, but just the way he can pop airs like that and just seem so calm and collected whilst falling back down. I know all the top guys do it. And I'm 
probably um, stating the obvious here, but he just has so much control for how high he goes. Yeah, I know. And how high, like, just, I don't know, his approach with getting that high, you think it's going to stop, but his still trajectory goes higher than where you think it's going to stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It must be that bat tail, eh? Like, you know, possibly losing <laughs> an organ on landings, but getting another three or four feet in the air, like, you know. Yeah. You gotta yeah. um yeah, you gotta sacrifice all. <laughs> <laughs> Raz, um, being from WA, this is a hard one because I know you guys have both of them. Which which one would you choose, bro? Ramp or pit? Pit for sure. Getting a hug from the ocean is, is the ultimate goal for me. <laughs> See, and where's the best hug you've had from the ocean in WA? Ah, uh, oh, I love the box. The box is sick. Epic. You've had some really good times down there as a younger lad. Like it's been a wave. You've you've kind of hunted out for most of your time on the boot. Yeah, for sure. And obviously, being in Perth Metro it was either tripping a lot to Rotto Box or going down south and surfing box down there. Yeah, sick. So I can obviously tell by those two waves you're um you're a barrel fiend. <laughs> yeah, I'm obsessed, eh? I just love going just deep and just trying to sit sit deeper in the barrel. I just I don't know, I just I just love it so much. Yeah, that's so cool. That you can hear how genuine on your voice too, man. It's a, it's a weird addiction, eh? Like it, it honestly is an, an an addiction. I don't think many other people can relate to it. I mean, I often look at um, different extreme sports around around the world, and a lot of them do uh, partake in the ability, or the in, individual, sorry, has to partake in the ability to to read all the variables and the the different environments in which they find themselves in you know you could look at extreme skiers or rock climbers or um ice climbers or you know like the list goes on i guess even looking at uh skydivers and and base jumpers and whatnot but it's always about reading the environment in which they find themselves in to keep themselves alive so with with Bergen, I think it's no different. You know, as you were saying, just trying to stay as deep as you can in the barrel at those challenging waves and the waves that do provide some of the best times in the barrel, there's also some heavy consequences. So it's really yeah. a fine line between like between pleasure and pain there. Have you ever had a moment, say, while searching out a, a long throaty pitter that um you've 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 come a gutter and there's there's been an injury to pay for it? Yeah, I um I got really confident with Rotter Box and I went there on like a big swell and it was only a few of us paddling and the lot were getting towed. And yeah, the tow didn't pull on to this one and I was in position so I just turned and tried to paddle my hardest to get into this one and just air dropped from the top to the bottom and then, yeah, got, got it pushed so hard on the reef around my hip and pelvis that it just it just compressed and broke my pelvis i cracked it right at the top of the iliac crest in your pelvis bone jesus bro that's a serious one yeah i got all the tingles shoot down my legs and i was just 
freaking. Um, and yeah, I had to climb the cliff and uh, drive drive myself home and yeah, go to the hospital. And they were just they were just all gobsmacked that I didn't have severe internal bleeding because I would have had to sustain a lot of pressure because it was just above my hip bone, but just below my bottom rib. So I didn't hit like anything major in a sense, but I just got compressed and pushed and all that force must have just, yeah, just popped, popped the pelvis. Man, that's a, that's a life threatening injury. Like that could have been, you know, you're probably, you're, you're probably millimeters away from, from, cutting a major artery or Easy. having a bone go through into like another organ or like whatever that's and you're in an isolated zone dude yeah, like, yeah. how did it, it feel was... driving yourself to the hospital like how did you even get to the hospital in that much pain <laughs> i was in a sense i think i was in a sense of shock um that shock lasted a good amount of time so a lot of adrenaline being my painkiller um and i don't know it was just i was pretty white like i had a, i've got a photo of my wetsuit at the top of the cliff and it's just my my hip is so just looks like someone's put like a golf ball underneath my wetsuit it just did not look good um and i was with a mate but i was yeah i just got in the car and just carried on and thought i better i better get this checked out and yeah, that's when they did the scan, and I've got I've got an X-ray just showing the hip bone just cracked at the top. But yeah, like you said, if it was if it was any bit lower, like probably ten mil, it would have just landed directly on that hip bone, and it would have been life changing. I think to withstand that much pressure on a on a bone that's sticking out. Bro, you were there with a friend. You're not telling me they stayed there for the rest of the session and let you drive out of there. <laughs> Fuck off. Fuck I just off. persisted. I don't know why I persisted. I did. I persisted. I climbed up the cliff. We had to walk to the bus stop back then because West End bus didn't go right to the end. And then I got on the ferry and got to my car in Hillary's, my Hilux, which was quite high, and climbed up into my Hilux, my left hip, so I could just kind of just pick it up and put it on the brake. And yeah, drove drove myself drove myself home. <laughs> Bro, I, I'm you can hear I'm just gobsmacked. I'm I'm speechless. Like that's a yeah, that's whew, lucky to have any in any internal bleeding because you would have been like that journey sounded like it took two hours. It's, am I correct in saying that? Are you there? I know. Uh, hour or so um at a rest while I was waiting for the ferry and stuff like that. But yeah, it was really uncomfortable to sit. Um yeah, I was just I was just in shock. I think the shock just got me through to be honest. Oh and Nick, I'm so sorry, man, you just broke up on that last response. I was 
just saying that the journey would have been, I'm only thinking about two hours long or whatever. It was, was am I correct? Or were, were you yeah. was it shorter or longer? Yeah, yeah. It was about an hour and a half or so. Um, but I just sat and waited for the ferry. Um, and then, yeah, just took myself to hospital from that point on. But yeah, like I said, it's just the shock. The shock sparked the adrenaline. The adrenaline was my natural painkiller at the time. Oh, man, hats off to you, eh? Hats off to you. That's a warrior story. <laughs> I did try to tackle it recently again, and it nearly drowned me on one wave. Eh? I've never been sent so deep, so I've, I've, I'm not going back. I think I'm going back anymore. <laughs> I've had enough. Well, you've, you've, had, you've had a couple of good challenges out there, and you've got your fair share of pits, so... Yeah, there's always certain waves um, that, you know, you're probably going to hang the fins up on. I used to go down and enjoy a wave down in Victoria called Luna Park. Uh, oh, wow. A decade on and off. Yeah, and that's kind of the same sort of setup, you know, like it's isolated and remote and pretty heavy slab. And um, I remember being down there in 2019 on the Anzac Day long weekend. Pretty sure it was the Anzac Day long weekend. Um, and anyway, I would, I was down there with my partner, Laws, um, my wife, Laws, she hates when I call her a partner. So I, I do apologize, my love. Um, and down there was some, some, some other good friends, Woody Young and Kelly, Kelly Young were down there. Um, Jack Baker, Cameron Staunton, Sammy Van, all the boys came down. Actually, it might not have been Cameron Staunton, but it was definitely Jack Baker and, and Sam Van. Uh, and we were at a campsite just close by, and then we thought, oh, you know what? We'll just um, we'll just go check check Luna's tomorrow morning. Like the charts look pretty good. It's like a bump in swell. Um, you know, happy days. We kind of underestimated how west the direction was, and it came in really square and um, was with, with huge um, intervals and long ways between sets because it's about a fourteen or fifteen second period swell. But when we first turned up, we're like, oh yeah, you know, it looks looks eight foot, maybe 10 footers. That's cool. And up the top of the cliff, it's really deceiving. <laughs> and um, mind you, I stupidly put my fate in Jack Baker's hand, hands. He fucking was supposed to bring my fins down, brought me two left Churchills. Oh. Like I could not believe it. So the stairs are about 350, 360 steps up and down. So I was just like, oh, I can't get back up there, whatever. I'll, I'll just... I'll just run with this setup. You know, you just flip the fin the other way and, and have the, the foot pocket a bit awkward. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we we do this, we paddle out and, um, you know, boys get a couple of waves, we all get like one or two and, and whatever, and then these things just start marching through and the horizon goes black. And I, I get, I get, you know, we're all paddling for the horizon. We all know it's kind of game on and we don't know how many sets there are. And... Like, fuck, the first one, I was like, okay, got this, I'm over. The second one, I'm like, oh, if there's a third one, I might better just get under this. But, you know, it's pulling me back because I can't keep the same the, the same pace, you know, because I'm, I'm kind of one and okay. a half fins c- compared to everyone else. And um, the second wave gets Jack Baker and Sammy Van because they're further in. Jack had just got a wave and the whole channel was closing out with this weird little bommy that's next to the wave and, Sam Van's a great swimmer, but he he got um you know, he shot water out there all the time, but he got taken in and Jack got taken in. It was me and Moody, um, 
uh, to, to to Tahitian fella and Chris Odell out the back, continuing to paddle. And I just this third one, I, I remember duck diving halfway through the face. But you know when a wave's got so much water behind it, it doesn't matter where you've duck dived on it you're getting pulled back either way. You might not go all the way over the falls, but it's pulling you back a substantial way where you're now in the impact zone. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, man, this this next one just exploded on me. And I remember it pushed me. You can either go two ways at Lunage. You can get pushed into the channel, which it's not really even a channel because there's this other weird bit of reef slash bommy that kind of breaks in on you when the swell gets too big over – 10 to 12 foot and it's kind of connecting with it anyway and then I got pushed over to the left and um, I mean over over to the right sorry you feel like you're going to the left but it's going to the right of the wave and getting pushed up on this this cliff bit there where like all the water surges up and goes into deep water but it just creates these huge slaps and I remember just being like a cork you know, like in a bottle there, you know what I mean, just getting swayed backwards and forwards, backwards, was trying to catch my breath, my board had been ripped um ripped off me i had one and a half fins on essentially and you know that stage i kind of came in you know at that stage i kind of thought to myself well that was a life and death experience that really made me think about what i'm doing and i have not i'm not not saying i'm not going to go back down there but i've not been back to luna since and um yeah it definitely rattled me so i think we've all got to have those experiences to kind of wake you up and make sure you know you're not invincible and there's still lessons to be learned out there yeah definitely you can never you can never take the ocean for granted eh? oh no way man and we found out later that morning that um probably 10 k's west down the coast um a surf lifesaver had been flipped in a um, rubber ducky and and drowned, gone, man, you know, experienced yeah. waterman, obviously knew what was going on. Um, unfortunately, probably didn't read the ocean to the best of his ability, much like, you know, we didn't on that morning either. And um, he, he paid the ultimate price. So it's a real it's a real game of numbers sometimes out there. Yeah, definitely a massive wake-up call, you know, even for everyone listening, I guess, to know that we can't just kind of take the ocean for granted and think we're invincible and push ourselves onto bigger and bigger ways because eventually someone's going to pay the ultimate price. Yeah, yeah, it's actually strange how we don't see more people die in the ocean and that's a that's obviously full credit to a lot of the um, great watermen that are out there, the lifesavers and lifeguards all around the world at those at those high-profile beaches. You know, you can only think about Pipeline and how many more deaths would have occurred out there if if they didn't have that sort of safety and um, watchful eye casting over all the, the surfers. But it is insane to think how many times you can roll the dice and come up on the better side of the die, you know, instead of having <laughs> having everything taken away. So, yeah, yeah but I guess sure. they're the challenges we want, don't we? Yeah, that's why we still chase them, eh? Bloody oath, bro. Um, <laughs> third question, my bro, dolphin cut fins or any other designed fins? Dolphin cut for sure. What's your favourite? Churchill's. Yep, I'm. I'm feeling. Are you feeling the um the old rubber or the new rubber? Like, have you been able to keep um one of those precious Malaysian pairs aside? No, I haven't. I. I don't even. I've got a Churchill shaped 
fin. I can't even remember where the set of fins. I can't even remember where I got it from. I don't even know the brand, but I just went through a stage that I just wanted all my setup blue for some reason. So I just got blue fins, blue deck, blue slick, like everything. But yeah, Churchill shaped and yeah, still still riding them today. Full Smurf model, eh? Like you were, were you kind of obsessed with the Smurfs there for a bit? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's epic. Well, I'm trying to think about what were all blue fins too. Um did Stealth or Vulcan do an all blue setup? I'm just trying to think. Man, you gotta you gotta send me a photo of these fins after the potty because I'm I'm racking my brain trying to think of an all blue fin. Yeah, I will. I will for sure. I don't even know where I got them from. I can't even remember. Like, I just remember just in one of my episodes just buying heaps of stuff and that's what came in the mail. <laughs> Fuck yeah, that's that's cool. I'm <laughs> I'm into that. That's oh uh, yeah, something I haven't seen before. Yeah, yeah, I'll send uh, you a photo for sure. Yeah, sick man, definitely. Um, fourth question, Nico. I, I usually give two options here, but I'm going to give a third one, and I might start even giving a third one in future podcasts. I've been trying to remind myself, but you know, we are moving into very technologically advanced times, and. You know, it'd be, it'd be rude not to include it. So I'm going to – three options for the fourth question. Would you prefer a beachy, a reef, or a wave pool? Beachy, for sure. Just and where's your favourite beach around home? Clayton. I shouldn't even say that really on this body. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. Why did I jump to it so quick? <laughs> Sorry, Ron. <laughs> That's golden. That's golden. Oh well, man, like a beachy's got to be one of those. It's it's an opportunistic, um, opportunistic kind of period in time, you know, because beaches come and go and and whatever. And you could rock up at your, your favorite beachy spot some days and and get skunk and and others, as you said earlier on the podcast, like a, a beautiful bit of sand forms, and you're lucky to be there, Johnny, on the spot, and you and like you get it done, so don't worry too much about dropping the local, mate. They come and they go, you know? Yeah, I know. I think that's the beauty with beach breaks is it's so much like inconsistency in a sense, and then when you're riding, there's so many variables. It's not like you're on the one peak, you know how the wave is going to turn out, you shift yourself a little bit to the left or the right or whatever. Beachy peaks just can pop out of nowhere, and you're like, oh, sick, this was perfect in the right spot. Yeah, bro, you you speak in my language because we had Tristan Roberts, um, second, well, two times world champion and the current world champion for, for this calendar year, um, on last episode, and he was only speaking about how he'd prefer a beachy because of those exact things, the inconsistencies and the imperfections that then make you as a bodyboarder work on your craft and hone your skills to absorb those um, imperfections on the on, on the wave and actually make do with them and and even you know, use them to your advantage. So I think that's such a smart and intelligent way of thinking about your bodyboarding because I've, I've said it heaps of times before, growing up here on the East Coast, especially in southern Sydney, um, we've got dog shit beaches, man. We've had all our sand shipped out to various parts of the world and our sand hills have gone from, you know, towering 100, 150 feet high sand dunes to, you know, pretty much just mounds in the in, in the um in the background now so we've got nothing on our beaches to bring good sand so it's always reefs and 
oh, dude, like you don't get the same training. You know what I mean? You don't yeah. get the same keen eye for, you know, uh, making that move worthwhile or, you know, dealing with that chandelier in the barrel or, um, you know, roughing the wind, the change of the tide. Like all, all these aspects affect reefs, don't get me wrong, and you've also got to have your mind on the game there. But you're not having the different shift in sand. You know the waves essentially going to wrap down the reef the same way and you just need to deal with the variables on the spot. When it comes to beaches, you don't know the way it's going to wrap down the bank and, you know, it might be the first, second, third wave of the set. So you've got so many other things to to deal with and, and to, to think about. So, yeah, bang on with the beachy. I really think that's becoming a common theme of um, – of really well understood bodyboarders. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Keeps that critical thinking going, you know, to be able to have that quick thinking when you're gotten on the line. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Um fifth and final question, Nico. Bicep mm. or wristly? Bicep, sure. Never I've uh, never even ran a wristly say, so yeah, I'm just just comfortable with the bicep. It's always been the way for me, so yeah, I wouldn't want to change it now. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to change something that's working. You don't, you don't make changes when things are working. Let's put it that way. <laughs> don't fix what's not broke, eh? <laughs> that's it, bro. That's it. Yeah. Um, man, just just before we go, I just wanted to ask you: is there anything else you you want to say about the Moors Group or any up and coming projects you've got going just to spread awareness yeah. and, the, and the good word? Definitely. Um, well, there's two organisations that teamed up um, that uh, have made this, like, tote bag um, to raise awareness of mental health, and it's got, um, like, hemp surf wax. It's real uh, good for the environment. It's all naturally made by, like, um, resin and honey and hemp. So that's in the bag, and um, there's, like, some illustrations in there from Cake Press, who's designed all the tote bag and the wax um, cardboard covers. And, yeah, Mr. Hemp's Oz is chucked in the wax. So, yeah, just trying to um, raise awareness of mental health that way with these tote bags. And, yeah, just wanted to say a big shout-out to those carers of those that are suffering from mental health as well because they're just equally in the same challenging boat having to care for someone that's that's not mentally well so shout out to my wife for sure for that <laughs> yeah epic man really good to have good networks around you in the community that you know not only you support but supports you so yeah that's 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 really cool to hear and any way to um any way to promote to the younger gen out there in the wa region um especially more in the northern suburbs of perth about Moors and, and, and how they can get in contact with you? Yeah. Um, well, they can get in contact with me via the Facebook and Instagram and through my website. So it's all just under Moors Group. Um, so I can get in touch with them. I do um, bodyboard coaching, surf coaching um, and skateboard coaching. And now I'm just working with, school up in Yanship for the high school and primary for programs next year trying to incorporate a surf and skate program around mental health so I hope I can get that up and running because that would have been 
me to a T growing up as a kid. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, man. And I, I think, you know, some of the things that you've shared on the potty tonight um, really illustrates a lot of people uh, that I know and and also little parts of myself, man, that I can really resonate with when you say certain things. You know, I went through a pretty hard time during COVID and got real uh, inward on myself, it, like, so to speak, and became a bit of a recluse and, and kind of forgot what it was like to socialise and be outside and, you know, dealt with some crazy shit and, and, and yeah, some of the things you've mentioned tonight on, on like, on the potty, it's, it's so cool just to, just to hear it and be able to connect with someone over it, you know, like my struggles have been minuscule compared to what you've been through man but even just on those those different rungs of the ladder i guess you know it's it's really cool just to just to pick up good info and and put it into your own life and i when i when i when i stumbled across moore's group when elliot williams from riptide um passed your passed your email on like it was just so refreshing to see and i'd never thought of it like that you know i've always known that exercise uh, created endorphins and that's really good for for anyone who wants to snap out of a a low state but to to make a mentoring program and and create such awareness you know you've written a book man like you're making a emotion picture you've been all over the news recently like it's it's insane and i meant what i said at the start of the potty about you know you should be really proud and it's a it's like a feather in your cap because you you haven't just you haven't just sat on your hands and 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 tried to deal with this, um, you know, in like a bit of a bloke fashion where it's just like, oh, yeah, mate, sweeping under the rug, we'll get on with this. And you've been a carpenter and a chippy. I'm, I'm sure you've, you've experienced a lot of that so, certain chat around the work side, but it's just in, it's so refreshing to see that you've just taken the bull, the bulls by the horn, but the, the bulls are by the horns and, um, and just, Made everyone else, everyone else's life who's suffering with these mental conditions uh, so much better. So, hats off to you, Nick, man. You, you should be really proud of yourself. Yeah, thanks so much, man. I think just having these conversations as we are now diminishes that stigma in a sense. And if I can try and make mental health in a sense look cool from my own experience with skating or surfing or bodyboarding, then all those kids that I teach in a sense before they see the the movies of someone with bipolar, they might be able to just ask themselves, well, my skate coach or surf coach was nothing like that. And that's that's another driver for me. So, yeah, break down that stigma for sure with conversations and actions. Yeah, there's help out there and you can live in a normal life and we're not going to be sweeping this um, mental health chatter under, under the rug anymore. Nah, for sure. Thank you so much for... Uh, inviting me onto the body to chat about it. It's huge. Oh, bro, happy days, happy days, you know. <laughs> have to have you on again sometime in the in, in the future when you've got this motion flick out and, yeah, yeah. you know, your program's thrown. Yeah, it'll be sick, bro, it'll be sick. Well, yeah, thanks again, Nico, and um, really appreciate your time coming on tonight, man, and we'll, um, we'll keep in touch and speak soon. No worries. Thank you so much. Cheers, Nico. You, you. It was all a pipe dream Watching body boarding up on TV Deep at reef Watching tension repeats Eating bakery feeds At 18 Living the dream With no sunscreen Yeah we were so